Care On Air. Hello everyone and welcome to the first episode of the Jewish Care podcast where we'll be discussing topics related to the social care industry in the UK and beyond. My name is Dalia Garari and for our first episode it's my great pleasure to host a very special guest, Daniel Carmel Brown. Daniel is the CEO of Jewish Care and was voted number two in the list of leaders in social care in the UK. We'll be exploring his views on the current situation in the health and social care sector and more besides. Daniel, welcome to our first episode. Can I start by asking you to tell us a little bit about yourself and how you got to lead this amazing organisation? Indeed. Thank you, Dali. And I should probably say that when people talk about that very nice award that I've got, um, being, being recognised as number two in the leaders of social care, I always thank my mum because I think that she created a thousand email addresses so that she could vote uh, disproportionately uh, <laughs> for, for me to receive, receive that award. But it was, it was an honour and it was one of those things that I think reflects the organisation more than it does um, my good self. But thank you. It's very nice to um, be part of the very first Jewish Care podcast. I have worked for Jewish Care for nearly 28 years and actually started uh, my involvement with the organisation as a young volunteer uh, back in the late 80s, early 90s. And I was working in one of our community centres out in Redbridge in uh, Ilford, Essex. I was involved as a youngster and then uh, found myself, after a number of years, spending a, a gap year in Israel, uh, living in Ashkelon as part of a, a volunteer programme and studying in Jerusalem. And it was very much an investment from the community. I was supported by the community to go on my gap year to come back and fulfil a leadership role in some capacity in the Jewish community. And at that stage, I was working primarily with younger people. But that soon progressed to working with other age groups at the community centre, including older adults. Uh, and uh, I had spent a bit of time working in Tower Hamlets at what was then the Jewish Care Stepney Day Centre. Uh, and after about 10 years of working within our community centres, I was given the opportunity to move across into the fundraising part of the organisation and spent the kind of second half of uh, my career in the fundraising team and eventually became the director of fundraising until five years ago when I was appointed uh, the uh, chief executive for the organisation. And how you found this move from young people to the older part of the population? Well, I've, had, I've certainly gotten used to it after, um, after so many years now. It's interesting, actually. I think there are there are lots of things that I kind of experienced and learned in the early part of my career that I think are very relevant to all age groups, if I'm honest, and particularly to uh, the working environment that we have with pretty large workforce, lots of teams around the organisation, and also the many thousands of volunteers who make Jewish care what it is. So I've, I've experienced a lot of similarities, actually, in the work that I do and the work that we do as an organisation. Uh, between different age groups across the board. You say many thousands of volunteers? Indeed. In we, what kind of areas? So we we have, we say we have, we have 3,000 uh, registered volunteers uh, who give up their time to the organisation. And I'm always amazed, actually, when I look at the range of 
skills that people can bring to to support people in the community, either directly or indirectly. So on one hand, you can walk around any of our resources and you will find volunteers who are working directly with clients, members, residents, tenants. And at the other end of the spectrum, you'll find uh, a very committed group of 13 trustees of the charity who are committing an enormous amount of time supporting me as a chief executive and also my senior leadership team to lead the organisation. So we do find that we have people working in every part of the organisation as a volunteer, but we also have many uh, dozens, actually, of expert groups, fundraising groups, uh, committees of our board, where we rely on volunteer input uh, to ensure that the governance of the organisation is carried out in the way that you would see fit for a 21st century charity. That's uh, very impressive, I must say, having having such a large workforce, uh, really impressive. Can we move on to question a topic which I think really troubles a lot of people these days? Social care. We hear a lot about the NHS being on its knees. I think I quote correctly that you once said that social care is like the poor brother of the National Health Service, in which case it probably is also in a pretty difficult situation. Can you fill us in a little bit about the difficulties you face and the situation which I imagine is not improving from day to day at all? Yes, I can. I think I can give you a perspective um, based on uh, two things, really. One is what we've all been through over the last few years, and I think that's had a dramatic impact on social care, the NHS, clearly, so health and social care together. Uh, And I think more recently, the interactions that we have had as an organisation, both with government and politicians of all persuasions, about the future of social care, which is extremely challenged, as you you imply. Uh, when When we talk about the future of social care, we have to also kind of look back a little bit over the you know, recent history. And when I look back and think back in my time of working in in this part of the, the community and in social care more generally, I don't think much has changed, actually. And I've been around for nearly 30 years. And yet lots of things have changed in society that suggest that social care needs to change and needs to adapt. So, for example, yesterday I went, I had the pleasure of going to one of our care homes to open a birthday card for one of our residents who had turned 100 years old. Now, that is not unusual uh, today. It was less usual 30 years ago, but it's a sign that society is ageing, ageing quite rapidly. And as a Jewish community, we're also ageing as well. And yet, when you look at how um, the social care kind of system is set up, it hasn't really adjusted to reflect the changes, the demographic changes in society. And one of the critical issues in that is, of course, how how money is used, how resources are used to support people, both in the community and also when they can't live in the community, in a care setting as well. And I can see how that's that's translating into the experience that our staff have every single day of the year. Because if you look at the average age of people living in our care homes today, it's over 90, it's approaching 92 uh, years young. And uh, the length of stay in our care homes is not what it used to be. I always give the 
example of my own grandmother, actually, who grew up and uh, lived in the East End her whole life. And when she lost her husband, my grandfather, she decided to move to be closer to her own children, all of whom were some distance away from where she lived in the East End of London. And it was a lifestyle choice. She moved into a Jewish care care home to be around other people, not to be alone, to be part of a community. She had minimal care needs. It was to, to kind of live as part of a group of other similar aged, like-minded individuals, some of whom she knew because she grew up with them in the East End as well. Today, that's not really what happens in a care home. People rarely make a choice to go and live in a care home. It happens because of circumstances, because a spouse may not be able to cope, children may not be able to cope, whatever care arrangements are in place may not be enough. Um, now, of course, we have responded by creating alternative provision to that old style approach. We've built three retirement living communities, which are very popular for uh, people in their 60s, 70s and 80s, I would say in the main, some in the 90s. And they, they are for people that are largely, you know, fairly independent, but they will age in situ and their care needs will change. And I don't think that the system in, in the UK has really kind of um, caught up with what is what's going on. Um, and I find that frustrating. I find it very frustrating. I've spent a lot of time talking to politicians. Every government of uh, the last 20 years has promised to address the future of social care. Every government has uh, done a bit of research and written a report and proposed legislation. And every government has failed to deliver. And even as recently as uh, this year and last year, the current government has done the same, having committed to asking all of us to pay more national insurance to support the future of social care. That has been scrapped and effectively put out beyond the next election. So we are spending a lot of time at the moment talking to politicians of all persuasions to convey the sense of urgency that the system is fraught and to some extent broken. We as a Jewish community are, are a little bit fortunate, I think, that we are able to draw on the financial resources of our community philanthropically and also, as I said before, the many thousands of volunteers that give of their time. But it's not, um, it's not unusual to walk around communities elsewhere and see care organisations really struggling. Many of them have closed. And of course, the pandemic was uh, a tragedy for social care. We, maybe it's, it's a topic for another another podcast. For a whole podcast of its Indeed, own, yes. Indeed, but the pandemic, I think what it did was it accelerated a lot of trends in society. And we've seen that certainly at Jewish care as well. So in fact, what you're saying that the problem is not only a matter of funding, it's a matter of, of approach. Absolutely. I think uh, one, of the, one of the kind of... Um, buzzwords that we that we hear and we talk about is integration and certainly some of the more recent proposals have been about integrating health and social care we have a government department of health and social care but on the ground the integration in different communities doesn't quite reflect what i think is necessary so again increasingly today People are discharged from hospital into a care setting. And the funding for that care, in some cases, comes from the NHS, whereas historically, responsibility for social care was with local authorities. 
So it's a, it's, it needs to be a much more integrated approach because one can't exist without the other. We know that many hospitals complain about beds being taken up by people who are actually fit to go somewhere else. It may not be home, but it may be somewhere else. Uh, and I can give you, I could give you many examples of people that have moved from a hospital into our settings where it's taken far too long for that transition to happen at an extraordinary cost to the state through the NHS. That is money that could have been much better spent supporting someone either in their own home or in one of in one of many care settings that we provide. And where do you think the solution is going to come? Um, Hopefully, it will. But uh... I, yeah, I, 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 I would say I'm usually an optimist. <laughs> I, I like to think of I myself. I hear a but there somewhere. <laughs> I, I, I feel I feel like I'm quite optimistic about the world most of the time. On this issue, I'm I'm afraid I'm not I'm not so optimistic, and I particularly particularly in the in the current the current uh, wave of uh, crises that we have all experienced as a society and as a global society. Actually, ultimately, some of this comes down to money, and it's hard to see how any government is going to find the resources required to address this. And I recognise, of course, it's not. This is one priority amongst many priorities that also exist for any government that is having to address issues. But we are living in an era where there are many, many more older people, and that, I'm afraid, is only going to become a more difficult issue over the next twenty-five years because we will see the baby boom generation reach an age of need. And that generation is significantly larger than the generation that we're caring for at the moment. How do you find the situation compares with other countries of, of the modern world? I'm not talking about third world and so on, but uh, how, how are we looking compared to, I don't know, the United States, Israel, Europe, Scandinavia, perhaps, is an interesting model. So one of the very... Um, the very fortunate roles that I have as the chief executive is that I do have relationships with counterparts and counterpart organisations across the globe. Uh, recently, uh, myself and a few of my colleagues were in Berlin for a conference of the European Council of Jewish Communities. And social care is, a, is an issue for Jewish communities across Europe in different forms and different contexts. Uh, and when we when we kind of benchmark our work to other communities in, in Europe, we tend to find actually that the UK, despite everything I've said, the UK is fairly fairly well developed. <laughs> Certainly if you go further east into Europe, there are, there are countries where there is very little in terms of social care provision by the state and certainly no money for, um, for providing services. Uh, on the other hand, you can go to other places like America and Israel and you will find much more developed options for people. And I would say that uh, my predecessors and, and, and the team here today are always looking for best practice ideas, best practice models for how we can uh, translate what people need into the services that are required to be provided. And our retirement living offer, I think, is probably a good example of that, where I know that colleagues have spent considerable time going out to other countries, South Africa, Israel, America. Um, in Holland, they tend to be quite developed with their approaches to uh, social care issues and looking at how we can uh, develop our provision 
to try and be the best that it can possibly be. On the other hand, um, I can tell you that my in-laws live in Chicago and I recently had to go with my wife to help them move into a assisted living facility and my my in-laws wouldn't make a decision without me being present because they think I'm some kind of expert on uh, on on the matters that they were having to consider. You probably uh, are. <laughs> I don't think I am, but they they certainly wouldn't. They wouldn't let they wouldn't let um, the family make a decision without me being there. And we spent a week going around different options for uh, assisted living, and I have to tell you that I was disappointed with what I saw. I came back and I and I I was extremely proud of what we have created as a community here in the UK because what I saw in America was that these are these are issues that they've been uh, dealing with maybe for a bit longer than us in the, in the UK and they had developed models 10 15 20 years ago but they haven't actually been able to invest in in their kind of modernization and uh, and growth of these facilities over time and that is something that I think we'll all have to contend with that as as people age we are going to have to become much more agile, much more flexible in what we offer to people. You mentioned Holland. Um, I know that they have an interesting model where they tend not to separate the older part of the population from general life and combine older with younger to to make it less drastic, less draconic, I would say. Because if there's one thing that would put me off if I had the option of not going to care, is this feeling of just being among older people all the time and not having the input of, of younger parts of the population. Is that something that's feasible? Or I think, I think it's feasible to, uh, to varying degrees. I think in this country, we, we tend to silo different generations in different ways. But I think we, we know from our experience at Jewish Care just how vibrant you can make an environment when you bring different generations together. Um, Just in the last weeks, I can think about how we uh, saw young people here for the National Yom HaShoah ceremony um, with Holocaust survivors being present at the same time. Just yesterday, I welcomed a group of school children from a Jewish secondary school uh, to come and visit members of the community centre and again meet with Holocaust survivors. You see older people's eyes, you know, kind of widen and the smiles grow very big on people's faces. And it's a real privilege to kind of witness that intergenerational activity. And we know that we do that across the organisation. I can talk to virtually every resource and people will tell me that on a regular basis that activity happens. Um, Of course, during the pandemic, virtually none of it happened. I'd, well, I suppose what I don't see happening in this country is, it, from a living perspective, there being that level of, of integration. If you walk around some of our nursing homes, they're not necessarily easy places to be. And I think for children, that is, you know, for grandchildren necessarily of, 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 uh, of residents, that, that can be a tough environment to be in. But I think in our, in our more community-focused environment, so community centres, day services, dementia day services, there's definitely there's definitely a role for intergenerational work and and we see that happening all the time and it makes me think about my kind of heritage actually my my mom is from india she was born in mumbai and in 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 that part of the jewish community 
and this is a general trend I think of um, of Eastern cultures that there is a, a a distinct approach which is about looking after older people in one's own home. You know, my great grandmother lived with my grandparents, and my grandfather was in his eighties looking after his mother. So that is a, a very different approach to what I think we are used to hearing in the kind of European setting. Yes, I, I I agree. It's it's something one doesn't hear of in in uh, this day and age very much. No, well, I, where, where I where I live, um, there's a pretty large uh, Asian community, and whenever I talk to neighbours or you know or, or friends that I see, they do talk about you know their parents or their in laws living living with them. So um, clearly, that tradition exists in in some parts of society. Right. Um, another thorny problem, word you just mentioned now, dementia. Yeah. Do you have? I understand you do have facilities for, in in your facilities for people suffering from dementia. Yes, I mean I think I suppose we we like to use the term living people living with dementia. Um, although I recognise that for individuals and particularly for families, the you know the, the experience can be a very very difficult one. Uh, as they see their loved ones living with what is, uh, for many people, a very, very challenging illness uh, and disease. And uh, we have, I suppose we have a whole spectrum of offerings for the community that, that reflect the different phases that people will go through as they learn to live with dementia. So that will range from what we would call memory way cafes, which now take place across the community and are really very special gatherings where someone would come with their spouse or, or a child. And it's a pretty informal, relaxed environment where different families get to kind of share the experience, but also enjoy some very kind of creative programming and activity, uh, but still live at home. But And it's a kind of a gateway, I would say, into accessing other services when the time comes. I guess the next step in that that journey would be looking at people who attend our Dementia Day services, which are very, very special places indeed, uh, and in many ways provide respite for family members to allow them to have a bit of a break from looking after a loved one. And when I spend time in our Dementia Day centres, I realise just how important it is for those family members to get that break uh, but at the same time, people are able to participate in a level of activity that keeps them stimulated, both physically and mentally. And there is a pretty significant amount of research that suggests that that level of stimulation is one of the factors that slows down the progression of these kinds of illnesses. And very sadly, some people will go on to needing uh, dementia care in a, in a residential context. And we have brilliant carers around the organisation supported by amazing experts in dementia who ensure that we can care for and support people when they can no longer live in their own homes. So you're really covering the whole spectrum of people living with dementia from, from very initial stages to where they really need full-time care. I would say we, I would say we do. I think the one area that I can see a bit of a gap, but I also see that there are some examples of where we may need to grow 
what we do is for people slightly younger than we'd expect can have early onset dementia. So as you can imagine, when you walk into most of our facilities, you're largely talking about older people, people in their 70s, more likely 80s, sometimes 90s. And I believe the statistic is one in 10 diagnoses of dementia is for someone who's under 60 years old, which is quite a scary thought. I hadn't realised it was that high. I think it's that high. And, and we see some of that. We don't see a lot of it. And I don't think we've quite got our heads around how we might be able to create a more distinct service for people in their 50s, maybe sometimes in their 40s, which is scary for me to say. But people in their 50s uh, who have a diagnosis and who can no longer uh, live independently or live with uh, a family and how, how we can make an environment appropriate for them. Because if you're 55 years old and you come to a place where most of the people are in their 90s, it's not a particularly welcoming environment. I think you were right in describing yourself as an optimist, hearing you speak about these very difficult topics in a really positive way and with a smile on your face. I wish you the greatest success in in continuing the wonderful work you're doing. And thank you very much for being our guest today. You're welcome. Thank you, Dali. And I should thank you because you are one of our volunteers. So I am indeed. One of the 3,000. A proud volunteer, yes. Thank you for all your hard work and contributions to Jewish care and to the community. Thank you. It's a pleasure being here. Thank you. Thank you.